Welcome to Drop Everything Podcast number 110. I'm your host, Dan Holzman. On this episode, our special guest was the number one vote-getter in last year's Top 40 Jugglers of the Year. Currently on tour with Circus Monty in Switzerland, it's Delaney Bayliss. Before we talk to Delaney, let's thank our sponsor, the IJA. That, of course, stands for the International Jugglers Association. Information about this great group of jugglers can be found at juggle.org. Now, Drop Everything. Get ready for Delaney Bayliss. Welcome to Drop Everything podcast number 110. All the way from Switzerland, where she's on tour with Circus Monty, my special guest, Delaney Bayliss. Hi, Delaney. Hi, Dan. How are you doing? Good. I'm embarrassed, though, because when I first introduced you, I said Bales. <laughs> but we're going to edit okay. that out. <laughs> I've heard so many YouTube videos and stuff where they pronounce it that way. Mm-hmm. And you never seem to correct it, so... Now we know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Hopefully this will clear it up. Oh, this will clear up so many so many things about <laughs> you that people have been wondering. Perfect. First of all, where are you from? Where were you born and raised? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm from Salt Lake City, Utah, um, and I've really spent most of my life there. And what did your parents do? Were they, were they involved in any way with the circus or juggling, or what was, what was their field of uh, business? Not at all. My mother, she did engineering. She's like two bachelors and one in engineering and one in like English, I think. Um, And for most of my life, she's kind of been a teacher working at schools, doing different things. And then my father does kind of computer software type stuff. And that's about as much as I could tell you about what he does. (laughs) Well, any siblings? Any uh, other uh, kids? Yeah, I have two sisters, um, both older than me. One has a master's degree in cello performance, and then the other one just graduated with a master's in epidemiology. Okay, so it seems like you come from a very professional family. Uh, Mm -hmm. When did juggling first become an issue in your life, or when was your first memory of seeing juggling? Um, I do have like a very vague memory when I was quite small of just like picking up two balls and kind of just doing a little shower pattern and thinking it would be cool to learn how to juggle, but having no idea how to get started. And then when I was about 13, um, I was just at this kind of family gathering event. And me and my sister, I don't know if we looked a little bored. And so my uncle pulled out some juggling balls. And I think he had a goal that summer to teach all of the cousins how to juggle. And so I kind of looked at that as my, my opportunity just to learn three balls. And I think the first day I got like five catches or something, and I was pretty excited about it. And I, I wanted just to keep going and just learn three balls, maybe a few tricks. And so I kind of just went home and started with tennis balls uh, and just really just looked everything up on YouTube and kind of went from there. I wonder how you knew what juggling was even when you first picked it up. I, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. I remember the first juggler I saw. But I knew I knew what juggling was before I saw them. Mm-hmm. I wonder if we just sort of naturally know or we're just there's something, even when we're kids, even though we're not aware of it, we do see juggling someplace. Mm-hmm. And then For we sure. try to try it. Even in like cartoons or on TV or people making references of like they have so much going on in their lives, you know, I think it is very much a part of we all understand what juggling is, which is interesting. I have this image of myself as a kid where I would take a broom out mm-hmm. to my driveway and just be like flipping it around and, and just really enjoying that activity of using an object in creative ways. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of the precursor for juggling for me. So when you picked up juggling initially, was it like a eureka moment or did it kind of gradually consume you? 
my entire childhood, I had a bunch of like different random hobbies that I'd just get obsessed with. I like flew remote control airplanes. I was really into knitting for a while. Um, and then right before juggling, I was really just into like drawing and drawing cartoons and stuff. And I remember the first day I learned to juggle, my oldest sister was like, is this going to be your new big thing? And I was like, no, <laughs> no, I don't want to be switching hobbies all the time. So I was pretty sure that it was just a, I just wanted to learn three. But quite quickly, I just enjoyed how much like independence I had with juggling. And I didn't need anyone else to kind of tell me or guide me. And I could really just do it all on my own. Uh, so quite quickly, it kind of took over. Well, I know that Anthony Gatto was big into knitting. Mm, really? So I think maybe that's a through line for most jugglers. I was more into <laughs> embroidery myself. Oh, yeah. So, nice. yeah, patchwork, you know, stuff like mm -hmm. that. Now, you always struck me as... Uh, were you, were you athletic, did you feel? Did you feel you were coordinated or was juggling something you thought would help you with your coordination? I also played soccer and some baseball, softball growing up. So I had somewhat of an athletic background. I didn't really start juggling to like improve any coordination skills. It was more just I wanted to be able to do this specific skill. Growing up in Utah, were there any jugglers around you, any kind of clubs or stuff? Who were your inspirations early on? So growing up, I think, Pretty quickly, my dad just kind of looked up a local club, and we have the Wasatch Front Jugglers. I remember my very first week going, I think it was Taylor Glenn's last, or maybe second to last week, before she moved from Utah to L.A. So very briefly, she was there, and that was really cool to see a, a really good female juggler from such a young age. And we had a couple other good jugglers. I remember one guy trying some, like, five ball, five up 360s, and whatnot so that was it was good and I went my dad was super nice he took me like every Sunday for most of my like junior high high school years we'd kind of go down every week which was great and then a lot of like inspiration of course from YouTube I was a big Doug Sayers fan growing up <laughs> really one of my absolute favorite jugglers I love his just his technique and how clean all of his patterns are but yeah and like just all of the sort of WGF style jugglers I was a big fan of growing up from like Vova to David Furman, Jack Denger, Thomas Dietz, all of those type of jugglers. So you were definitely more attracted to the technical aspect. Did you did you enjoy any of the comedy jugglers you might have seen or did you just think it was silly? <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely have a lot of respect, but I, I don't think, especially when I started juggling, I, I didn't start because I wanted to be a performer. I really just wanted to juggle and be as good at juggling as, as I could be. And so I really didn't start watching even more like circus acts until I was much older. Now, do you have any idea what you did want to do? Was there something that uh, you were thinking about before juggling kind of became your main focus? Yeah, very loosely. I was going to, I went uh, to a year of college for math and economics um, before I decided that's really not what I wanted to be doing. I think part of it was I was so focused on juggling that, and I was a good student for sure, but I just didn't really make like a game plan. I was like, great. All of that's lined up. Now I can spend more time juggling. Until recently, I haven't really thought as much about what I would do outside of juggling. Now, you said that you, were, you appreciated Taylor Glenn because she was a good role model as a female juggler. Mm -hmm. Did you find that the sort of male-oriented juggling community was welcoming, or did you feel kind of isolated? Or how, how did you feel you were treated sort of as a beginning juggler? Yeah, I think there was definitely, at the beginning, there was probably more attention on me because I was a girl who did specifically technique and high-level technique. But I, I've had a lot of really incredible, specifically male juggling friends throughout the years, like Jonah, Noah, Spencer, um, just really welcoming 
friendly, great guys. So I've really been appreciative of them and just the way they've always treated me and I've like treated other jugglers as well. So in general, I've always felt very welcome, which has been great. Would it be important to you to be known as the greatest female juggler who ever lived? That type of thing? Or is that not really important? Because I always feel that juggling is one of the few activities that both sexes can excel at equally. Like the best Mm -hmm. female jugglers have always been, in my mind, as good as the best male jugglers. Is that something that maybe is, is valuable to you if people consider you as the greatest female juggler of all time? I remember growing up, I kind of said, oh, I want to be the greatest female juggler. And my dad was like, well, you could just be, the, you know, like aim for the greatest <laughs> right. juggler. Yeah, I mean, I sort of want, and maybe this is me thinking I'm super good, but I want to like push the level of what the greatest, fe- what it means to be the greatest female juggler of like making that a really high standard. So whoever comes along after me, it's not like, oh, she's a little bit better. You know, like, I would like to make the standard of the greatest female and the greatest male far closer than maybe what they were before I came along, if that makes sense. And is part of it like having a career as well? Because certainly, you know, the idea of a great, for me, the greatest juggler mm-hmm. also includes the fact that they are successful in their professional career. Like, I think you could say that Francis Brunn is one of the mm-hmm. greatest jugglers in the world, not only because of his technique, but also because the fact that he had such longevity and such a successful career. Sure. Is having is it purely the technical aspects of what you do, or is it also having a successful career fit, feature into the idea of who the greatest juggler would be? Yeah, I mean, certainly what you can do on stage, to me, is also really significant, and not just what you can do in practice. I think, for me, in some ways, I kind of divide my, like, hobbyist juggling career and my professional and I think about them in like very different ways and I have really different expectations um, out of myself for what I can do in both areas but yeah I mean it's definitely important to me to to do some significant contracts that I'm happy with and just like see the world and see what opportunities I can have but I don't have to have a perfect successful juggling career in order to feel like I was a successful juggler. But is that the plan right now to have a sort of lengthy uh, juggling career or do you feel this is sort of something you have a a particular time frame in mind? Um, I'm also finishing my bachelor's degree in kinesiology and I'd love to at some point get a master's in athletic training. So I feel like at this point in my life, I've kind of accepted that I may never, I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket, sort of. I'm happy being a hobbyist juggler at times and being a professional juggler and also being a student and having kind of a normal job. And I'm also like an EMT and I work at a neurology clinic, which I'll I'll go back to after this. So I kind of like the variety that's in my life. And when certain things come up, I can pursue them, but I'm not really tied to, to any one identity or anything like that, which has been very, very good for me in the last couple of years. Can you envision a dream job? Is there one particular venue or, or company that you say, well, that would be what I'd be shooting for? Not necessarily. I would love to have like five to 10 really good contracts that I enjoy that are in various parts of the world and kind of give me different experiences. I think it's less of like this company would make me feel valid as a juggler and more of uh, I want to have like unique meaningful experiences, especially in circus. Yeah, I think the opportunities are a little bit less than when I was coming up. When I was coming up, there were a lot of review shows. Mm. They were just like in Vegas, you could go and see six to eight jugglers all working, you know, different different hotels on the Strip. It seems like now everything has kind of gone sort of funneled to the Cirque du Soleil. Right. As sort of the big monolithic 
circus company. And I know they're not quite as uh, enjoyable to work for as they used to, because since they were sold, a lot of the perks uh, aren't there anymore. Uh, What do you think about uh, Cirque du Soleil as a a company to work for? Um, I mean, obviously, it'd be great (laughs) just to like have a long term contract that feels really stable would be great. But I don't know if the opportunity comes to be great. If not, that's okay too. And what about competing at some of the big circus festivals? Is that that something on your radar? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't have like a specific time yet, but I would definitely love to at least apply and kind of see if I would ever get accepted and could do one. Yeah. I think there's obviously the one in Monaco and maybe the, um, what's the one about the Cirque du Demain? I think it's the Circus Artists of the Future for, for younger artists. Yep. That certainly would be something to, to shoot for. Right now, I have um, I want to do IJA individuals maybe next year. If uh, kind of if I have if I'm not working, um, I'd love to do that. I have juniors and teams, and so I want to complete the the three. Right. Because so you won with Zach. That was a few years back. Yeah. I remember I was there, and you guys had a wonderful duo act. Mm-hmm. Uh, what year did you win the juniors? I maybe I wasn't there that year. It was Quebec City. Oh, okay. 2000. Yeah, so, that's that's one of the ones I missed. That must have been quite a quite a nice experience for you to win that. For sure, it was good. Now let me ask you a question about the competitions. What do you think about like a Diabloist competing against a toss juggler? Do you think that should be separated into different categories? Are you comfortable competing against any particular prop? It's interesting because we have a Diabloist in the in our show here at Monte this year, and so. Sometimes in my head, I like compare his the number of dropless acts he has versus us because I'm in like a passing act. And so I just I don't know. I kind of think about like the different levels of like comparing Diablo and juggling. And it is interesting. I mean, I think for IJA, I think it should be all together. But I, I just I sort of wish maybe judges had a better perspective of like what is difficult in Diablo versus what is difficult in juggling um, and more compared like a really good Diablo act to another Diablo act versus like comparing a juggling and Diablo together. Yeah, I agree. I agree pretty much completely with that. I've always felt that the risk factor should be taken more into consideration. The mm-hmm. fact that if you're doing a, you know, one or two or even three Diablos on a string, that just the options of dropping are so much less. And also the, the ability to communicate more with the audience, to look at the audience more, to be more, have more movement with the Diablo I think it puts them at an unfair advantage. Sure. And unless that's taken into consideration, especially with the risk factor of dropping, mm-hmm. uh, then it's sort of an unfair playing field. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure you do you would do quite well. Are you already sort of planning what you would do in your routine for the IJ individuals? Yeah, I have an act that I made the last year that I was at circus school. And so that one is pretty much ready and I will be doing that one. Well, let's backtrack a little bit into how you got so darn good. <laughs> so what age were you exactly when you started juggling? I mean, sort of like more than just the cascade? Pretty much from the age of 13, I was uh, like right from when I learned, I started pretty much taking it quite seriously. And what was your practice schedule like? I mean, how many hours per day did you would you commit to <laughs> juggling? At the beginning, it was probably like 20 minutes and it like quickly progressed throughout that first year until I was doing maybe an hour or two a day. And then sort of, because right after that, I was in like ninth grade and then high, or high school. Yeah, I definitely dedicated a lot of time, a couple hours a day. The weekends, probably four or five. Now, what would you think the most in one day? If you had this pick, like, okay, I had one day where I, it could be at a convention or something. I know at conventions or I guess festivals now, I could easily see myself putting in eight hour days simply mm-hmm. because of the atmosphere. What do you think your record is for one day as far as practice goes? 
Well, it's funny for me, it's almost like festivals are a break when I honestly struggled <laughs> the least. Right. <laughs> just I'm like hanging out with people and going to shows and watching, st- going to workshops, of course. But when I was young, I'd do like nine to 12 and then take maybe a two hour break and then two to four. And then I come back after dinner uh, and do like maybe seven to nine. So now when you're doing your practicing initially, was there any kind of structure to it? Did anybody help you with like a sort of a plan? Or did you have any kind of internal plan that you sort of on your own? Like, was there a certain time you did this prop or that prop? How would you structure your practice sessions? From the beginning, it was mostly just what I wanted to do. And I would I think I would do maybe balls in the morning and clubs in the afternoon and then rings at night. And as I've gotten older, I've gotten less and less interested in ball juggling. So then it was like rings took the priority of the morning practice. And now it's uh, mostly clubs is my priority. When you did the rings, did you find you had any issues with the, with your hands? Like that's the one thing that kept me from juggling rings a lot was the the area between my my index finger and my thumb would start to split open from the rings hitting there. Do you find you had your hands or have any kind of issues because of the rings? For sure, I've honestly never had like the in between the thumb and index finger problem, like the webbing. Yeah. Uh, so that one I'm thankful for, but kind of from like the way I grip the rings for like four in one hand, I definitely have like calluses on the back of my fingers. And then yeah, where they rub up where you release them and stuff. For sure. And then kind of just the palm of my hands. And then I have like one specific one kind of on the, my index finger from like pancakes and it got really big this year. And then, <laughs> then I had to stop for a little bit, but now it's uh, now it's fine. So. Yeah, I was always told I had very weak webbing mm, interesting. between my fingers. Yes, it was uh, genetic, which yeah, has kept me from being a great ring juggler. But, <laughs> and as far as props, do you sort of gravitate towards a certain company or a certain style of prop? Uh, what are you using currently as your props of choice? Yeah, I think I have G-balls. Mm, me too. Uh, I've been using those for quite a while. And then I have, they're like, for the rings, they're the old absolute ones that they don't make anymore. And so I've managed to kind of still find them but i don't i don't i'm on my last set right now so i don't know what i'll do once these kind of die i'll probably have to switch to cathedrals but i really like the weight of these ones they're a little bit heavier and maybe a little bit larger than the cathedrals um and then clubs i use dolphins and i've been using those for most of my career and what kind of uh place do you like to practice do you find a gym or outdoors where's your ultimate practice spot i was super lucky and my parents had um have like a living room with maybe 18 20 foot ceilings i've been super lucky to like get a practice there and then when i went to college i practiced like in a racquetball court and then when i've been at circus school we obviously had i was in like a big church and so we had tons of practice space with really high ceilings and then tents when i'm in circuses and obviously indoor is uh, is the big preference decently high ceilings at least least i can do seven clubs is kind of my minimum requirement for a practice space and music or no music and headphones or or ambient uh well growing up i had like a, a tv in the living room and i just turn on the tv and just yeah. watch hours of my parents didn't have cable so we just we i'd like watch sort of like the older shows so i've seen a lot of bewitched and Andy Mayberry and just uh, like Bonanza, kind of these old shows. And then like once I no longer had the TV, I started listening to music. I also really like podcasts. I find that when I'm doing like higher numbers and faster tricks, I prefer to have something slower 
that I can listen to versus like music with a beat. I find sometimes just makes me go too fast. And as far as the TV, I always thought it's important because you can kind of harness the power of distraction. Like obviously you're not like focusing on it, mm-hmm. but to have something on the background does kind of help the, the time pass, especially I imagine if you're working on, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sort of serious technical stuff, it kind of gives you your mind a little bit of a, of a break. Is that, is that what you feel like? Yeah. And then, I don't know, a year or two or so when COVID happened and I went back home, I like tried turning on the TV again and I just found it was too distracting now and it's no longer, <laughs> it's no longer helpful. So I've, uh, I've turned it off since, but yeah, growing up, it was great. Any sure. Gilligan's Island in the mix or anything like that? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. for sure. Yep. <laughs> that, was, that was one of my favorites when I was growing up. Of course, I saw it when it was originally on. Nice. I remember yeah. when TV was black and white. <laughs> Crazy. And we had three channels. I know. You know, but I'm 105 years old, so it's I'm you know a bit older than you. So, well, let's talk about also this you know circus school. What age were you when you actually went to circus school? I was 19 when I started. And that was in Utah or, or somewhere else? Uh, no, I went to the one in Philadelphia called Circadium. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. Um, Greg Kennedy's. Yep, exactly. Place was he the the head of that at the time? Uh, yeah, his wife Shana Kennedy. She more runs all the administration right. side, and then he helps out, of course, and does the, the juggling program. As a juggling instructor, like how important is someone like that as a juggling instructor? Because it seems like like his sort of talent base and yours, he's very creative and a, mm-hmm. what a really innovator in, in juggling and obviously creating a, the cone and routines like that. But as far as the technical aspect, do you need someone who can demonstrate that level of technique, or can someone like explain mm-hmm. what to do without actually showing you? Mostly when I went to circus school, I, I kind of went for everything non-juggling related. So it wasn't, I didn't really go for technique as much as I went for like dance and theater and uh, sort of acrobatics. And the person I worked with maybe the most my last year was actually Kyle Driggs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was super helpful. Him and his girlfriend, Andrea, really helpful as far as helping me find like a more of a style and a movement within juggling. And so we really didn't work that much on technique, just kind of accumulated like the tricks that I had the most solid and then kind of build a structured act and then just kind of put those in. Yeah, I watched his routine recently, uh, the rings and umbrella routine. There was a video that was uh, shown, I think I saw it first on Facebook. I forget exactly where it was from, but boy, it was it was great. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a big fan of his. I just find his, like you say, his movement, his artistry. And how important is that to you as far as juggling? Do you feel that like, obviously, if you look at like the WJF, where they, the sort of the, the emphasis is more on, I know when Jason first started, it was, you know, don't move your feet, don't smile. It was just pure technical expertise. What do you think the balance is in your mind as far as sort of movement and artistry with technique? For me, it was, it was definitely a difficult transition because I really just identified as a juggler who just kind of stood there. And so I had this kind of assignment in school to just make like a three minute routine that was all movement. And I believe it was with one club, maybe one and two clubs with really no tricks. And so it just really forced me to kind of find my own movement style, which was really great. Yeah. And and again, kind of the way I kind of separate out my sort of juggling is I can still have those moments and those practices where I just work on technique and the stuff that I'm interested in. And then I also have like an act and uh, more of like a movement style that I can also work on, which to me is sort of separate. And when you perform, do you feel as if the audience 
appreciates the technical aspect of it? Or do you also feel as if, well, they like that, but when I relate to them more or I move more, Mm -hmm. I get a better response because the entertainment value sort of trumps the technical value? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think there's a good balance of like, I want to do a certain level of technique on stage in order to feel like a good juggler and like I'm presenting sort of my best work um, or at least something relatively close to that. I do like have an understanding that, yeah, most audiences aren't going to know exactly what that is or whatnot. And so it's important to be a good performer and, and whatnot. And like Monty is 132 shows. So getting to do just a ton of performances and um, being okay with dropping sometimes and doing really well and just kind of the ups and downs of like a, a long tour. I think just getting especially more consistent uh, performing practice has been great. Now, did you ever hear the story about Trixie who that, you know, on her tours with the Ice Capades, the crew would bet how many times she would drop per season. Oh, wow. Really? If she was so consistent, they would say, how many times is she going to drop per season? Wow. And I always thought that was a pretty amazing. Because I think uh, that mm-hmm. aspect of it, you know, performing drop-free is very, very important. I always thought that dropping was like falling and ice skating, mm-hmm. that it really is sort of the thing that the audience knows. Like they might mm-hmm. not know a good juggler from a bad juggler, but they know a bad juggler drops. Right. So that's the one thing they can look at. Oh, that person dropped a lot, even though their technical level could have been so much greater right. than someone who didn't drop. Mm-hmm. I think for me, I've always been like incredibly critical of um, myself when I drop on stage, but I, I you know, being like performing so much and dropping, you know, once in a while, to me, it's, it's just, I don't know, you sort of just have to let it go and not be super critical of yourself and understand that it does happen. And a trick could be a nine, 10 out of 10 trick. And one day you're just, just not going to happen. And that's okay. But that's, yeah, that's really crazy. <laughs> it's a great story. Well, it's a good thing to keep it in perspective, because I think I've seen many, many times where it's that first drop that opens the floodgates. Sure. Right. Someone's doing well, then that first drop kind of throws them so much that they don't see it as an isolated thing. Or maybe they mm-hmm. try to get back to the music or they try that trick again. For sure. And it kind of throws them off. Mm-hmm. So certainly being in the flow helps to prevent drops in the first place and then recovering quickly and mm-hmm. gracefully if you do have a drop. And like you say, you can't expect constant perfection. So to be able to accept it and move on. Sure. Is, is really important, I think, for a professional juggler. Now, did you watch, are you a history, a study of the history of female jugglers? Do you like watch the style, let's say like an Eva Vita or a Lottie Brunn for inspiration? Mm-hmm. Or is that sort of something that you're aware of, but don't really look at that in relation as a female juggler or just as a performer? Mm-hmm. I've certainly watched kind of acts from the past, especially female jugglers, but I wouldn't say I've ever like studied or been too meticulous as far as that. Just, uh, I just generally have a lot of respect for, for what they've done. But to me, sometimes it's hard watching like a black and white video and relating it to kind of the juggling that I see um, in color in person today. Well, it's also, like you said before, the idea of you see a lot on video mm-hmm. where people are doing amazing stunts. And you know that it's like, okay, it's, yeah, this might have taken them mm-hmm. so many tries to get this on video. Of course. I've always been very much a performer's juggler. Mm-hmm. Meaning I would I would see someone, uh, I mean, I don't mean to t- single him out, but like a Volva Galchenko, who in rehearsal, I'd seen him do these massive monster runs with seven clubs. Mm-hmm. But then on stage, he never seemed to be able to duplicate that level. 
Mm-hmm. Now, do you, if you see a juggler who's only like a YouTube juggler or you see on video, do you sort of think of it differently? Because you know now the difficulty of juggling in front of people mm-hmm. compared to the ju- difficulty of juggling when you can do it on video with many different takes. Do you sort of see the difference between those two aspects? And so when you see someone who doesn't perform, do you think they're kind of missing out on part of that experience of what it takes to perform in front of an audience? Um, not really. I mean, I, I even sort of see that in my own self of like, I have an Instagram where I just post my absolute best stuff. And then like, I'm not ever going to do that on stage, you know? And I also like, don't ever expect myself to be able to do any of that on stage. I feel like both sides of juggling are equally valid and important and just kind of offer different things. I think if you just want to be like a a gym juggler and do really crazy stuff, I think that's great. And if you want to like, be in circuses or do comedy juggling or any sort of performance, I think that's also great. And I don't feel like one is necessarily better than the other. Well, nowadays, they're both very valid, I think, because mm-hmm. they're both available. For like, sure. Uh, back in my day, there really wasn't that sort of division of a hobbyist versus a professional. Like if you're a hobbyist, you never saw them. Like maybe you saw people at festivals, but there was no avenue for people to make videos. True. And one of the big advantages, uh, like for our act, was the fact that we got on television because no one could make a good promo video back in the day. Like there was no editing or software or stuff like that was available. So if you didn't get to be on television, you really didn't have a good promo video. Interesting. And now people can make a wonderful stuff without ever being in front of an audience, you know, with the with editing and music and quick cuts. And of course, now the sizzle reels are, are much shorter, like 90 seconds, when we used to make eight minute videos to send out. So it's, it's, things have changed quite a bit from the prehistoric days when I was plying the trade. But uh, let's move on back to some idea about as far as your progression. Now, when was the first year you went to the IGA or did you go to the WJF first? What was your first festival yeah. experience? Yeah, it was 2012 IGA in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And it was, it was really amazing. My mom had been spending like a lot of my time that year juggling. And so my mom surprised me for my birthday with like a, a trip to, to that festival. And it was crazy. It was just like all my favorite jugglers in person. And, you know, you're a little bit starstruck. Look who that is. And going to all the competitions and, you know, sitting in the audience for like numbers and extreme juggling. It was really, really exciting. And I think that might have been one of the kind of bigger motivations for me to be like, ooh, in a couple of years, I want to be up there. I want to be performing in juniors or competing in extreme juggling. So yeah, it was a really great experience for me. And what year again did you compete in the juniors? So how long after you first went did you actually start competing? Um, So two years later, I competed and got third in juniors. And then the year after I I won in uh, 2015. Well, it's nice to know that you didn't win on your first try. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's because it's good to sort of feel as if, yeah, you got to, I don't say pay your dues, but it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's good to kind of achieve. Like if it just had been super easy, it, the accomplishment doesn't sort of mean as much. Absolutely. When I won juniors, I, I kind of already had this goal of winning all three um, stage championships because to my knowledge, no one has ever done that. And it was my last year to perform and potentially win juniors. So it was a little bit stressful because I knew, I knew if I didn't win that year, I was never going to be able to win all three. Yeah, they used to have a weird thing with juniors where it was not the age limit, is if you had been juggling less than three years or something like that. So it was also, there had some adults, you know, older people who could say, well, I didn't really start seriously juggling until two years ago. 
Okay. So it was kind of bogus because you could sort of just say that. Well, oh, I learned 10 years ago, but I didn't really take it up seriously until two years ago. Mm-hmm. So I think the age division is, is more fair yeah. than just some arbitrary how long you've been juggling sure. type of thing. Yeah, I don't think I know uh, Peter Davison won both the teams and the individuals. Even that's pretty rare mm-hmm. to, to win both of those. Maybe uh, maybe maybe one of the guys from Teat Rootberry might have done that as well. And Zach won it, and I believe um, Greg Kennedy as well. So there's a couple, and then I think I think a couple of people might have juniors and individuals. Hmm. Uh, I don't but think. But Greg, they- he won when he did the. Uh, was he doing like that bowl act? He might have been. I honestly don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think it's the one who is rolling the balls. There have definitely been some winners mm-hmm. who I personally were like, yeah, really? That guy? <laughs> <laughs> That's just me, of course. Like, I know this year, uh, did you go this year with uh, the last festival? Mm-mm, I wasn't there this year. Because I know a Kandama player won. I know we've had plate spinners win and Kandama and lots of Diablo players. So... I have some issues with the competitions, but that's, I really haven't done much to try to correct it. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of not really good for me to be complaining about it either. And I never won. I, I won in the teams a couple of times, but I had a nice streak of like third places in the individuals. <laughs> <laughs> but never quite, uh, except for they used to have the Capel system. And mm. what do you think about that versus the, 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 I think it's Ordinal system where it's one, two, three. Before they could give out multiple gold medals or multiple silver medals. Mm-hmm. And my best year, there was no gold medal awarded. Interesting. So yeah, I got a silver medal, but they also had an overall winner plus no gold medal, which was odd. So, yeah, I, I do see some benefits to that, but I, I kind of like the the one, two, three better. What I would like to see is is the overall points meeting more, meaning mm-hmm. that the overall scoring is like okay, well, Anthony Gatto won with a score of eight thousand. Mm. <laughs> and this person won with a score of 6,000, mm-hmm. like they would have in diving, where you could at least compare year to year sure, based on, well, who was sort of the, the greatest of the champions. Right. Yeah. I mean, certainly there are up years and sort of down years, of course. Yeah. And I wonder what they could do to sort of try to co- convince more people to compete. I know one year they had a, a much bigger prize money. And that seemed not to draw the you know, entrance that they, that they thought it would. And then they went back to the original amount of prize money. Right. Do you think that there's something that would convince more people to compete? Can you think of something? Um, I don't know. It, it definitely seems like it's sort of going downhill and there's definitely less and less applicants. And I believe teams, there wasn't even enough people this year, uh, which is kind of, I don't know, a little disappointing. I don't know. I mean, certainly prize money would be great, but... I don't know if that would ever really swing it enough. I think if it was just if it had a little more prestige and meaning to it, I think that might might get more people interested. But I don't know. I think it's definitely a little bit intimidating to compete in it, and I think that kind of maybe makes a lot of people not want to participate. Well, I think also there's another avenue now, like we talked about before, where people can be visible on on YouTube you know, and like the top 40 juggler of the year. Like you don't look at them like, oh, how many of them actually have won the, or competed in the competitions? It's not really even a factor. Right. So I guess maybe that having different options where, and to me, that's got to be one of the most nerve wracking uh, performance situations, you know, to compete at the IJ. I'm not sure if it's as nerve wracking at at the WJF because it seems like the number of jugglers in the audience are less. Mm -hmm. Even though it is televised. 
Yeah, I would say WGF, uh, at least from my experience, it's, it's definitely what you're attempting to do is, I would say, probably higher level juggling. And it's more like compact into like a minute or two, like two minutes of really high level juggling versus IGA is like spread out over seven minutes and you're going to have sort of lower and higher level skills, but it's not all back to back in this, like it has to be perfect and every throw has to be this specific. Uh, so I don't know, more and less stressful for sure. Yeah. I think they each have their own priorities. I'm a big believer in the shorter competitions. Like mm-hmm. I really like the individual prop competitions where it's clubs versus clubs or balls versus balls. And a much shorter format because I think if you look at a lot of other activities like rhythmic gymnastics or ice skating, I think around 90 seconds is sort of a sweet spot to be able to demonstrate a lot of skills. But when you stretch it over eight minutes, that's a lot of time to fill, mm-hmm. especially like for a general audience. If you ever wanted to try to make juggling competitions popular for the general audience, that would be a tough sell, like eight minutes. Of course. I just had a question. When we think about, like you said, about the stuff you did uh, for Instagram as far as, you know, just having that uh, an avenue to show your greatest tricks and not stuff you would do on stage. I recently watched the one where you did the seven ball back cross pirouette back mm-hmm. into the seven ball pattern. Like a trick like that. How many, how many times would that take you to get something like that? <laughs> Too many. That was probably one of the harder tricks I've ever done. And oof, I really like sold my my elbow and just I don't know I swear I was getting elbow tendonitis by the end it was uh it was not not pretty but I don't know sometimes I just have a trick in mind and then I'll kind of work up to it and then I'll spend a a day or so kind of going for it and it's definitely not I don't know it's more of like I want to see what is possible and less of like I'm ever going to attempt to do this trick again. So was it enough in some of these tricks where you're like, okay, I got that trick once. That's oh, enough. Sure. I'm not... <laughs> what do you think is the hardest trick you've ever accomplished? Mm. Certainly that one comes to mind. I would say seven ring back crosses was also really tough. Um, just because I just feel like ring back crosses often, they have this like potential to loop or just like shoot out versus I feel like club back crosses are far more consistent for every throw yeah also the um the five up 360 with a balance was quite tough wait so a five up 360 so you have the balance you maintain the balance mm-hmm. through the through the 360 yeah wow and that one i thought I, like i got a little bit lucky with it i just kind of threw a really low 360 and went pretty quick <laughs> right <laughs> i think some tricks are like that though you do mm-hmm. it and it just kind of clicks but then repeating it or doing it again was like oh it's not as easy as it was when it worked perfectly that one time. Yeah, but I will say for most of these, I got like the lower level kind of build up skill really consistent. Like my seven ring back cross flash is really good, or my five up 360 with back crosses with balls is really good, or I can do a really consistent three up 360 with a balance. Sort of stuff like that, I ended up getting really consistent, but the higher level skill, absolutely not. So with the seven ring back crosses, you had to qualify with with seven ring back crosses. Mm-hmm. Oh wow, I got to see that one. <laughs> yeah, because it seems like such an awkward movement to. Yeah. yeah. And it seems like it takes a lot of a natural force. Mm-hmm. Like it, it seems yeah. sort of like you really have to go fast. For sure. But you don't have the handle to kind of give you that leverage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with that one, I I got like two or three attempts where the last ring, which is like 
bounced out of my hand and it was just so frustrating to have to go right. back and uh, <laughs> try again. Right. <laughs> I wanted it to be finished, but yeah. Now what trick have you seen that you're like, okay, that's mind blowing. Like, have you seen a trick someone else does where you're like, okay, I don't even want to try to attempt that. Or do you feel that every trick you've seen you could possibly attempt? Masahiro's seven club Albert's flash. Yeah. Oof. Absolutely. <laughs> insane. That's, a, that's pretty insane. Yeah. That one is insane. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that Spencer does that is super cool and really specific to kind of his style. Yeah, I think, I don't know, like nine club flashes are obviously all of the really high-level numbers, all stuff. Yeah. It's just not really my area of expertise, so I have a lot of respect for, for what all of those guys do. Well, I always thought Emil Dahl, you know, who did the nine club, mm-hmm. I think he was the first to flash them. Mm-hmm. He's amazingly tall and has huge hands. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so, so I think just being able to release them, he has sort of an advantage. And also I think being tall in some ways mm. is an advantage for jugglers, even though a lot of the great jugglers back in the day were, were quite d- diminutive. Like Francis Brunn, I think it was only maybe 5'3 or 5'4. Mm, interesting, yeah. Nino Fradiani, the ones who had more acrobatics right. and gymnastics, you know, like someone like a Vladek or someone, they seem to be more compact. Mm-hmm. Where some of the great numbers jugglers seem to be more tall and lanky. Right, it's true, yeah. So, it could be, it could be. I'm sort of in the middle, so maybe, <laughs> once again, it's prevented me from, but also I never really was you know, drawn towards the highest technical level, because I think we have to sort of see that, what are we meant for, or what, 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 what are we drawn towards, or what are we good at? I mean, mm-hmm. did you sort of find that you were excelling at these higher numbers and the higher technical skills, and that was sort of what drove you towards that area, and you felt that being sort of a talker on stage wasn't as much in your wheelhouse? Yeah, I mean, in, in general, I'm definitely an introvert. And so performing in general is something that I probably never would have chose to do if it hadn't been for juggling. Um, it's definitely something I've, I've found through through juggling, through kind of a different avenue. But I just really, I don't know, I really loved just seeing what was possible for me. I guess when I go to juggle, I, I don't go to juggle to like think about what's possible. Or it, it was funny going to school with Zach McAllister just because his mindset towards juggling is so different from mine. And I'm just like, I want to go in to practice. I want to do my two hours of work and then I want to leave and like not think about it. And versus he's like cooking dinner and he's playing with oven mitts. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my goodness, what is going on? <laughs> totally different. Well, I think it's, it's interesting the way the different jugglers' minds works. Mm-hmm. Now, do you ever see yourself coming to a day where you might do Maybe not necessarily comedy, mm-hmm. but I could see you doing sort of a motivational mm. type type to sort of because I think that's once again to to succeed so so highly in a, a world that's sort of male dominated. Mm-hmm. Not to harp on that, but it's just your level is so high, mm-hmm. you know, as a juggler. I think I think that might be something that inspires other women to to take up juggling. Yeah, I think I'm not necessarily. I don't think I'd ever be interested in like motivational speaking or anything like that, but. I definitely, when I have the opportunity, I, I definitely will go out of my way to be encouraging to a female juggler, especially a younger one, or just if I can help in any way. Just more kind of, I'm much more of like a one-on-one type of person. And so if I can help an individual, then I'm always, always happy to do that versus helping kind of a, I'm not much of like a go out and help the masses. I'd, I'd rather find an individual and help them versus sort of kind of a general motivational kind of avenue. Yeah. Well, I could see that. It's not for everybody, but you can see that's an avenue that some jugglers have taken as far as when they look at their professional careers. And speaking of your career, what were your first performing experiences like? And did you ever work with the Circus Smirkus? Was that was that one of the groups you were with? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think like my very first time on stage, I think it was like a little talent show for my kind of church group. And then quite quickly, I, I like one of my early uh, performing experiences was uh, the first year that I did juniors at IJA. So quite quickly, I went from really small performances to kind of like a big stage and sort of high pressure thing. And then when I was 18, my coach, uh, Richard Kennison, suggested Smirkus. And it was kind of the last year um, I could do it because once you graduate from high school, you're kind of aged out. And so my mom's like, just just send in a video. And then I went to the audition and uh, I got in. And so I really had no idea what I was kind of signing up for and we watched like a documentary about like oh it's like this tended show and there's like 30 kids and you perform you like make the show over three weeks and you perform for seven weeks so that was my first time like being in a show and doing 60 70 performances um, and really my first exposure to circus as well so it's really 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 a great experience now do you see circus as being sort of the the area you want to excel at when it comes to juggling? I mean, do you see the circus life? And like, how, how are you adapting to circus life? Are you are you living kind of in a trailer? What's your experience there in uh, Circus Monty like? Yeah, it's been great. It's like a six-month contract. Uh, the show gets made over two months and then four months performing. I mean, we go to 10 cities all over Switzerland. Yeah, all the artists stay in caravans, and uh, we help with, like, Building up the tent, tearing down all the backstage props and the stage and curtains and the towers and all sorts of things. But yeah, it's it feels like a sort of like a grown-up Smirkus. So a lot of the experiences feel similar to kind of what I what I did at Smirkus, which is sort of in a foreign land and a, a different language and far more independence, of course, and it's paid. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's great and it's it's something I love and I'm also excited to like once this ends in about a month then like to go home and like get to like juggle and do the juggling that I'm interested in for a little bit um, before kind of I start performing again. And it's an international cast. Is that, or are they all from different places? Is that how it works there? Or most of them are Swiss or? Uh, I believe we have three from Switzerland, uh, three from Germany, one from Ukraine, one from Argentina, two Canadians, three of us are American, and then one Australian. And if you weren't a juggler, what other circus act would attract you, you think? Mm. Yeah, as far as like watching circus, I'm really a big fan of partner acrobatics or just general acrobatics. Love a good teeterboard or um, my carrying games, hand-to-hand, just really high-level acrobatics is something that I will never, <laughs> never be good at. So I really enjoy watching it. And it's always, uh, to me, it's just like surprising and interesting and really impressive. I'm kind of a serial guy. Oh, yeah. I, like this. I guess it's also still kind of manipulative, but I just, the way that when I first saw it, I thought, well, that's, you know, the, just to be inside that wheel, that one wheel. The German wheel, not so much, because I thought that was kind of big and clunky. Mm-hmm. But the single sear wheel, I've seen some really nice artistry with that. And uh, right, elegant. it looks dangerous, like you could break your fingers pretty easily. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 acrobatics I like, but once again, I, I never could see myself doing something like that. But sure. uh, it, it's nice when you see these other acts, the way, the way they express themselves. Because I think it's hard in juggling, especially I think, I think ball juggling is probably the hardest one to to sort of make visual because mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's the smallest of the juggling and it just seems doesn't fill the space as much as you know clubs or rings to me mm-hmm. so as you said you're doing a, a double act here you're, you're not working as a single yeah i'm working with mario uh, his family like owns and runs the circus and he's like a juggler and so 
every couple of years they'll bring in someone else to to pass with him. But he's deaf. I would say he's the highest level juggler who I've ever gotten to like work with on a consistent base. Um, so like a lot of our act is just like solo five stuff, five clubs at the same time or some high level passing. So that's been really fun because I have, of course, done passing like with Zach, we had a passing act, but it was more of like how our individual skills could like be integrated together in kind of a unique way versus this is more just like technique and high level passing, which is it's really been really fun to like get better at passing and perform and everything like that. Well, run me through the acts a little bit. What kind of tricks do you perform and what's the sequence of it? Um, like the beginning, we do it's like run of 744, a couple of three ups, and then kind of like a, I don't know if it has a name, but it's like the, the double 180, kind of like a three up and then another three up. And then we do like a five up 360. And then uh, we do some 10 club passing. And then we have like a nice sort of like a, a five club walk around sequence. Like part of the show, we have like this it's the, the show's sort of like a desert theme, and so there's like this dune in the background, and so we do some like bouncing off the dune, which is really fun. Yeah, and then he's super good at this like balance, like club-on-club balance stuff, which is something, oof, I'm really not good at. So <laughs> it's been really fun to watch him do that, and like I, sometimes I just get to throw him a club, and he just catches it in a balance, and to me that's really crazy impressive. And when you pass 10 clubs, are you doing doubles as your self-throw? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do... Double, double, and then at the end, we just do, like, triple single. And a run of it, or, or do you guys flash, or does one of you catch them all at the end? How do you how do you finish with the 10 clubs? Uh, we do a run, and then, I don't know, 15 throws each, I guess, and then we sort of have this, like, ending where I throw, like, he collects most of them, and then I throw one really high, and then he, like, tosses the bundle over to me. Uh, just kind of a slightly unique ending um, that's really fun. Now, you talked about getting coaching from uh, both Greg Kennedy and Richard Kinnison. Now, most jugglers uh, don't have coaches. Mm-hmm. Now, what, what is about their different styles? You say that uh, mostly Kyle Driggs for the movement. Mm-hmm. What do you think the, the different approaches? Do you, do you like encourage people to try to find coaches? Is, is that important to you? Or do you think that just following your own individual, like going to circus school? If someone wanted to kind of recreate what you've done as far as getting so good, mm-hmm. what do you think would be the, the message you would tell them? I think. For me, I'm, I'm a big fan of finding like a mentor. Sure, a coach can help you with technique and maybe planning an act or whatnot, but I feel like a mentor, someone who's like a little more hands-off, but has sort of been there um, and has like some connections in juggling or in circus or whatnot, whatever, like kind of wherever you're trying to go, I feel like is, is the best. I also feel like you really, you don't need a coach. You don't need to go to circus school. You can, there's so many different avenues and Certainly, I feel like circus school could be right for some people, but it's it's definitely not right for everyone. And if you just want to be a really high-level juggler, like, you don't need a coach. Like, one could certainly be helpful, especially if you're if you want to be pushed or if you don't feel as motivated yourself, you could definitely find a coach. But I think if you're ever going to reach a really high level of technique, unless you sort of have, like, a like maybe a father and you're really young, I don't feel like you need a coach. I, I certainly, I think, could help, but... I think if you're motivated and you want to train, you'll you'll find a way to get really good. Yeah, I think there's a big difference. Like when you said a father, there's definitely a big difference between the people who came up in juggling dynasties, mm-hmm. you know, like Cremo or Vladek or, or Gatto to some degree, who, who started training so young that there's something that can't be necessarily duplicated unless you have that really early start. Of course. I think just getting that ingrained technique is really difficult. Now, you're working in a double now, but do you see yourself in the future 
focusing more on a solo act or do you like being in the in a double act? Uh, I will say it is like less stressful and it is nice to like get off stage and you can talk about it. So I have really enjoyed being in a passing act, but yeah, I'd ab- um, absolutely love to uh, perform my act or just a, a solo act in general would also be great. So, Like if you don't get to be able to do rings, do you feel kind of a lack of like, here's another aspect of your juggling that you don't get to express or do, are you still, do you still practice it even though you're not using it during the time or mm-hmm. do you feel that, that it doesn't really make sense to somehow include that because it's not really part of the theme or, or what you guys are trying to present? Yeah, we do so many shows over like a pretty condensed four month period. So when it is like a day off, I, I do try and take a day off and, and not worry about it. And I do like an hour practice session every show day. And it's mostly specific towards what we do on stage as well as just kind of keeping my baseline six and seven good. But I've also sort of kind of taken a little bit of a break from juggling here, which has been really nice because I've spent so much of my career. Like I don't take a day off any, you know, like ever. And I've never taken more than maybe three or four days off really since I've began. So I think every once in a while, just having some time to reset and refresh and be excited about going back to, to training in December is, is probably quite good for me. And how about physical training? Do you have any kind of exercise program or, or something that you have that helps you maintain the, your juggling ability? Not specifically. I, I probably could do more, but uh, I enjoy running and biking and just kind of general aerobic activity. And then I do have like one of those kind of gyroscopic balls then mm-hmm. that I come up with. And if I'm not juggling for a little bit, I'll, I'll definitely maintain some strength with that. That's for like your wrists, like something you do <laughs> for your wrists. Yeah, for sure. And I found just warming up, it's, it's really good injury prevention. And when I don't have it, I had one break on me right when I got to Switzerland and that was a little, a little frustrating, but I, uh, I managed to get another one. So I find that really helps with, uh, just kind of injury prevention and overall strength as well. Is it warm in the tent or is it, is it a bit drafty and cold? What's mm-hmm. the performing uh, venue like? Yeah, it's, it's quite a big tent. I think it's 750. Wow. Okay. Uh, it's 750 and they do a really good job with heating and, and cooling and, uh, everything. So it's, it's never an issue. It's great. And how important is travel to you? You said you enjoy the travel. Do mm-hmm. you hope to see the world through being a juggler or are there particular areas you want to explore? What's that mean to you as far as being able to travel as you juggle? For sure. I think Monty has been great because it's, it really has just been mostly one country. And so I've really got to like thoroughly explore kind of one area of the world that I've, I've been to France and England before, but I've never been to specifically Switzerland. So that's been really fun. And and certainly fast, like juggling festivals. Um, I went to the Australian juggling festival and the uh, Israeli one, but just like, even if they're really short trips that are just for juggling, those can also certainly open up doors to travel. And I think, I think juggling is is like a really, at this point in life, it's a really great cheap way to kind of get around and see things, which has been awesome. Now I've heard a rumor that you're going to be able to see the lovely city of Mountain View coming up for the Game of Thrones. Is that a fact? <laughs> yes, that is true. I'll be there in uh, in early January. And I'm also going to uh, TurboFest in uh, also early January. So people who listen to the podcast, you're mm-hmm. definitely open to going to other juggling festivals. Is that something you'd like people to consider you for? Yeah, absolutely. I, I have one year left of school, so I'm, I'm trying to get out on the weekends sometimes and, and see other places outside of Utah would be great as well. So for sure. And if there was one juggling festival you could go to that you haven't been to yet, do you know which one? For me, it would probably be the Japanese Juggling Festival. 
Mm, interesting. Uh, I mean, obviously EJC would be super cool at some point to perform at. So you haven't been to an EJC yet? I haven't. Oh, okay. It was funny this year. Was, I was like quite close to, to Spain, so I, but I wasn't there. So at some point, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to go. Well, I think for the organizers, that would be kind of a no-brainer <laughs> to, get, to get you out to the, to the one you, you're available for. What, what do your future plans look like? So you, you currently live in Utah. Is that your home base? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I have one year left of school, so I'm just going to kind of commit to that and finish that. I do have like a, a part-time job, so I'll be back to more like hobbyist juggling, maybe doing a few local gigs. And then after that, I'd love to, to get out back in circus and see, uh, see whether, what other opportunities are, are available. And what other hobbies are you currently doing? Do you have hobbies that you do on tour there? Anything that keeps you sane during the off time? Um, I do enjoy drawing, uh, mostly kind of people or figures. It's really fun. And then there's been a lot of travel, a lot of like biking around and, and walking and seeing different sites and cities is uh, taking the train. It's been really fun for sure. Well, we're getting towards the end of our time. If you had to give any advice to up and coming jugglers or people who want to achieve a really high technical level, mm-hmm. can you kind of sum up your philosophy of juggling in a way that would uh, help others achieve the highest levels possible with their skills? For sure. Uh, I would, I mean, of course, focus on the, the fundamentals, try and have as good of technique as you can from the very beginning. And I would just say really lean into what you're the most interested in and kind of don't let other people determine how good you can be or like what style of juggling that you find the most interesting. Yeah, just lean into what you're the most interested in, for sure. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to be on the Drop Everything podcast. I look forward to seeing you in Mountain View in January. And I hope to also watch you win the individual's uh, next year at the IGA. I wish you great luck in your future career. And uh, thanks once again for the talented Delaney Bayless. <laughs> you got it. A, for, thank you. I know. I, <laughs> I blew it in the beginning, but I got it now. Delaney Bayless, thank you so much for being on the Drop Everything Podcast. Of course. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Drop Everything Podcast. It was number 110 with our special guest, Delaney Bayless. Look for her on Instagram. Or if you're lucky enough to be in Switzerland, see her live in Circus Monty. Go to the webpage of the IJA, it's juggle.org, and find out about the great group of jugglers represented by the IJA. Now go out, drop everything, except when you're juggling.